frustration, but that's good, okay? Most of you would identify this as a golf club, good, and more specifically as what kind of golf club, even though it's kind of old school? Yes, this is a driver. Now, when I hit a golf ball with this driver, regardless of how well I hit it, it is going to determine the direction and the distance the ball will go. True? Now, let me ask you this. This is such an important question. What drives your life? What determines the direction and the distance that you go? Because there are all kinds of things that can drive our lives. Isn't that true? Different circumstances, different emotions, different beliefs. Sometimes people's lives are driven by materialism. Because what really drives them is just acquiring more and more stuff, believing that if I just have enough stuff, then I'm going to really be significant and I'm really going to be secure. And other times, people's lives are driven by a need for approval and, and they're controlled by trying to live up to the expectations of other people. Other times, people's lives are controlled by, by guilt. And it seems like they're always running from regrets and they allow the past to limit their future. Or how about this? Sometimes people's lives are, are driven by anger. They've been hurt in the past and they hold on to those hurts and they just, they never let go. And then there are people that are, that are driven by the fear of failure. So they always play it safe. They never take any risks. They miss out on so many opportunities in life. Now, we know that our lives can be driven by all these kinds of things, but the end result is the same. Stress and, and boredom and unhappiness, unused potential, in short, an unfulfilled life. Now, this morning we're beginning a new series of messages called People of Purpose, and we're going to explore an alternative to an unfulfilled life. And that alternative is this, a life driven by God's purpose. Now, a number of years ago, we went through a, a study as a church based on a book written by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And again, those purposes come right from Scripture. They come from Acts chapter 2. And we learned that God has five purposes for our lives. First of all, we are planned for God's pleasure. God made us. God wants us to love him. And loving God, expressing that love to God for who he is and what he's done is called worship. That's what we were just doing a few moments ago. We were made to worship God. Another purpose is this. We were formed for God's family. And that's called fellowship. We were also created to be like Christ. God wants us to become more and more like his son Jesus. And that's called discipleship. And the fourth purpose is this. We were shaped to serve. And our serving here on earth is preparation for the service that God will give us once we get home to heaven. And then finally, the fifth purpose is this. We were made for a mission. We have this, this privilege and responsibility of sharing the good news with others, and we refer to that as outreach. Now, the big idea when we went through this Bible study was simply this. God has five purposes for your life. But here's an even bigger idea. You can't accomplish those purposes alone. In order to fulfill God's purposes, you need God's people. Now, I want you to take a look at this statement. This is on your outline. I'm also going to put it on the screen this morning. It says this, the local church is the hope of the world. Why? Because of its message and its people. And we know this, that every single day of our lives, we are surrounded by people who need hope. In fact, every single day of our lives, we are people who need hope. The hope that, that somehow tomorrow can be better than today. The hope that despite the, 
the pain and suffering we see in our lives and the lives of people we love, the, the suffering we see around the world, God still is in charge and he has a purpose and there is a meaning to life. We need that hope and that hope is found in a message. And that message is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a story about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we know that that message is so powerful because that message says that your past can be settled. It says that your future can be assured. That message says that there is a God who loves you and he will give you the wisdom and the power you need every single day for the challenges you face in your life. Question is, to whom has that message been entrusted? To the church. To us. And we know this. The church is not a building. The church is what? It's what? It's people. The church is people. People who've decided to follow Jesus Christ. And this is something that is incredibly profound. If you want to see the hope of the world, how many of you would like to see the hope of the world? I think we all would. All you have to do this morning is look around the room. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Because we are the hope of the world. We are people of promise and people of purpose. Now here's such an important truth that I want you to see. We cannot be the hope of the world alone. We need each other to carry out that purpose. Now, who is this character? Okay, some of you immediately recognize this guy, right? For some of you, you're going, what? That is the Lone Ranger. And I'm not going to get into his story, but he just tried to live life how? Alone. Alone. Now, when you read the opening pages of the Bible, you read a story about God creating Adam. And Adam is in a perfect world. He has a perfect relationship with God. And yet God looks at Adam and makes this stunning statement. He says, it is not good for the man to be what? Alone. It's just not good. See, God, I believe God hates loneliness. And because God hates loneliness, he has created two institutions to deal with loneliness, marriage and the church. Now, marriage does not last beyond this lifetime. Did you know that there is no marriage in heaven? Now, for some of you, that may come as a disappointment. For others, as a delight. I'm not sure what the situation is. But God's family, the church, is going to last how long? Forever. Now, one of the terms for the church in the Bible is the body of Christ. Take a look at this verse. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. Two key thoughts. The parts of your body belong together. It's good if they stay together, right? Okay? Just as the parts of your body belong together, we belong together. And the verse also says that each of us needs each other. You need all your body parts working at the same time. We need each other. Now, here's the, the big question for this morning. Why do we need each other? Why do we need each other to fulfill God's purposes? And there are five really good reasons. Now, here's the first reason, and this is on your outline. We fellowship better together. We fellowship better together. And we see this in the very first church in Jerusalem. This is a verse from Acts chapter 2. It says, all the believers continued together in close what? Fellowship. Now, that's not a word you often hear outside of church. So what is fellowship? Well, it comes from a Greek word, koinonia, and it simply means to be as committed to each other as we are to Christ. Now, sadly, joining a church does not guarantee fellowship. 
You can be a member of a church your whole life and never really experience deep, meaningful, satisfying relationships. You can totally miss it. In fact, churches are filled with lonely people because fellowship doesn't come automatically. You have to build fellowship into your life. So how do you do that? Well, I want to point out briefly four levels of fellowship, and the first is this, socializing together. Socializing together. Now, I think we all know what that is. You, you know, hang out with other people. You watch the ball game. You have a pizza. You just spend time together. Look at this verse. It says, the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. See, God wants us to enjoy each other's company. And honestly, that's what beer commercials are all about. They really are. Think about it. They're not really selling beer. They're selling fellowship. Because have you ever seen a beer commercial where somebody's drinking alone? I never have. They're always just having a great time. They're enjoying the great outdoors. But here's the reality. There is more to fellowship than just socializing together. Because in the Bible, fellowship includes this. Studying together. This is a verse from the book of Acts talking about a group of Christians called the Bereans and it says this, every day they studied the scriptures. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to figure out how God wanted them to live. So when you get together with a group of other people and you study the scriptures together, there is a fellowship in doing that. Now here's another way that we experience fellowship, serving together, serving together. Some of you have been on missions trips together. Some of you have been involved in ministry together, working in our student ministry and children's ministry, serving on the worship team, working on church projects. When we serve together, it forges a deeper friendship. There's no doubt about that. Look at this verse. It says this, we work together as partners who belong to God. Now, I want to do this. I want to point out really the deepest level of fellowship. This is the thing that really brings people together the most, and it's simply this. Suffering together. Suffering. When, when you share a common experience of suffering, it brings you closer to another person. Like Alabama football fans seeing their Crimson Tide you know, lose to Clemson in the national championship. There was a, a shared suffering in that experience for them. But seriously, suffering is an experience that brings people closer together. Look at this verse from Philippians. It says, and this is Paul speaking, a follower of Jesus in the first century, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. Church, I know this, that in the years that I've been privileged to serve as your pastor, I've walked through a lot of suffering with a lot of families. And I know that some of you have experienced incredible losses in your life. Some of you have lost your health. Some of you have lost family members. I know that some parents have lost children. There are some families where they're afraid that they're losing their teenagers. And some of you have walked through that in the past. Some of you are walking through that today. And the fact is that God doesn't want you to have to walk through that alone. He wants you to have a church family and to experience that kind of fellowship. So what is the, what is the first reason that we need each other? Who can tell me? It's on your outline. We just talked about it. We fellowship better how? Together. Now here's the second reason. We worship better together. We worship better together. In fact, 
there are a number of benefits that you experience in corporate worship that you really can't have if you just worship by yourself. Now, did you know that God is really serious about us getting together each week to worship him? Take a look at this verse. This is actually from the Old Testament. It says this, you have six days to do your work. Now, for those of us who are workaholics, that's something to remember. We have six days to do your work, but the seventh day of each week is holy. Why? Because it belongs to me. This is God speaking to his people. No matter where you live, you must rest and come together for what? For worship. And if you go to the New Testament, Jesus made it clear that the Sabbath day is for our benefit. It's a gift from God so we don't burn out. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying God in nature. God wants us to do that. And there are times when people say, well, you know what? Instead of going to church, I'm just going to go play golf. I'm going to go fishing. Now listen, God wants us to enjoy him and all the things he's made, but God is clear, hey, you need your church family. You need to come together each week and worship me. Now, why does God want us to do that? Let me point out three very compelling reasons. Number one, it increases our joy. It increases our joy. God meant for worship to be a celebration. You know, on Sunday morning, we shouldn't wake up and say, oh, I have to go to church. It shouldn't just be a duty. It should be a delight. I can't wait to go and worship with my church family. Look at this verse from the Old Testament. We enjoyed being together when we went with others to your house, our God. We enjoyed being together. Let me try a little illustration this, this morning. Phil, would you do something for me? Would you just clap your hands? Okay. Can I get your whole row to clap? Okay, good. Can I get that whole section to clap? Can I get everybody in the room to clap? Okay, great. You can stop. You see the dynamic? Just clapping by yourself or with two or three people or clapping with 100 or 200 or 300 people, there's a different dynamic in worship when we worship together. It increases our joy. Here's something else that it does. It enlarges our perspective. It enlarges our perspective. I was thinking about this when we were just singing one of our songs, that in your presence we find strength to face the day. Isn't that true? Have you ever come to church, have you ever come to church and thought, man, my life is a mess. I've got all these problems and all these pressures and I don't know what I'm going to do. And you come to the worship service and you start focusing on God and you realize, hey, God's bigger than this problem. And as you think about God's God's wisdom and God's grace and God's goodness, that, that burden just starts to lift. And you come into church like this, and you go out like this, because God has lifted your head and lifted your heart. There is a beautiful verse. This is in Psalm 73, where King David has that experience. And he says this, I tried to think through this problem, but it was too difficult for me until I went into your temple. Then I understood. Worship not only increases our joy, it enlarges our perspective, and here's something else that worship accomplishes. It helps others believe. It helps others believe. When people who are not yet believers come to a worship service and they see Christians worshiping together, I mean, really worshiping together, they often begin thinking this way. You know, not all these people are, are idiots. I mean, they seem to be sane and rational and um, there must be something to this Jesus thing. Now here's a verse from the Old Testament. It says this, God put a new song in my mouth, a praise to our God. Many people will see this and worship him. Then they will trust the Lord. 
when non-believers see believers worshiping, they instinctively know that something real is going on. And this is what's going on. They are being drawn into God's presence where they can experience God's power and God's peace and God's pardon. I was talking to a, a fellow pastor this week about weekend worship services. And we were talking about the fact that often when pastors are away on vacation, um, they choose not to go to church. And sometimes that's because they feel like they just need a break and they're tired. And I was, I was talking about the fact that when my wife Chris and I go away, when we go to South Carolina to visit our family, we love to go to church on the weekend. And, and the reason is this. We know that it pleases God, and we also want to encourage believers wherever we are, but also for this simple reason. It benefits us. It increases our joy. It enlarges our perspective. And church, let me say this. When we decided that we were going to have a, a worship service on Christmas Day, um, we weren't sure who would show up. We weren't even sure how many chairs to set up. Because I know a lot of you came to our services on Christmas Eve, and that was just great. But when we arrived that morning and we saw so many people here, that was deeply encouraging. And it was really great because the following Sunday, on the, uh, the first day of the year, on New Year's Day, when Pastor Phil was speaking, we had no idea who was going to show up. And Chris and I were actually out of town. And I remember when Phil said, hey, we had hundreds and hundreds of people on that morning. And that was such an encouragement that you wanted to come together and worship with your church family. And I hope that encourages you as well. So, we're better together when we worship. Here's the third reason we need each other. We grow better together. We grow better together. Look at this verse from the book of Ephesians. It says, under Christ's direction, the whole body is fitted together and each part helps the other parts so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You see, God wants you to be healthy spiritually. He wants you to grow. And he wants our church to grow. So here's the big idea. You can't grow in isolation. You need other believers in order to grow. It's interesting to me that some people think that the most spiritual people in the world are the ones who live in a monastery. The people who go up to the top of the Himalayas to meditate alone. But God says that if you want to be growing spiritually, you need to be wrapped in relationships. You need people in your life. Because think about it. How can you learn to live the way God wants you to live without a church family? Because God says, love one another. You need other people to do that. If you want to learn to be more patient, what do you need? People that will try your patience. You see, God created us so that we grow better together. And that's why on Sunday morning, um, how many of you have ever taken a science course? There's typically two parts. There's the lecture. Some of us have taught science. There's the lecture and there's the lab. And this is sort of like the lecture because I'm explaining truth from God's word. But you know where the lab is? It's in your relationships. It's when you take this truth of scripture and you try to actually do what God says in your marriage, in your family, in your church family, at work, at school. That is where the rubber really meets the road in terms of applying God's truth. And that's why one of the first steps to be a more spiritually mature person is to be really connected to the people in your church family. It's sort of like this. If you have a baby, you don't take that baby and set it on the side of the road and say, hey, hope you can grow up. A baby needs what to grow up? Starts with the letter F, A, M. What does a baby need to grow up? A family. What do you need to grow up when you're born again? Yeah, you need a family. You need a church family. Now, 
How does that growth happen? Well, real quickly, let me point out several ways. First, by accepting each other. Accepting each other. Because when you really accept other people, that provides an environment in which growth takes place. Because God says this, church. He says, listen, it doesn't really matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you've done it with, how long you've been doing it. What matters is what direction are your feet headed now? And, and here's the deal. The seats in this church are reserved for people who have failed. Because we all have. But people who want to learn how to succeed, depending on God and his grace. And we all know this, there are no perfect churches, right? And if you ever find one, don't join it because you'll really mess it up. <laughs> now listen, why does, God, why does God want us to accept each other? And here's the reason. Because he's accepted us. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. We've been accepted by Christ. Christ says, hey, accept one another. Now, here's something that's really important, especially in our, our culture. There is a distinction between approval and acceptance. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle or behavior. And, you know, there's a, a story in the Bible. It's in John chapter 8 about this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. And the religious leaders bring her before Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, the law of Moses says she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And some of you may recall the story, and Jesus says, well... Let the, the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says, beginning with the oldest, they walked away one by one. And then it was just Jesus and this woman. And what does Jesus say to her? Well, you know, don't worry about your lifestyle. You know, who am I to tell you how to live? Now, very compassionately, but very intentionally, Jesus says, go and sin no more. I love you. I accept you but I do not approve of your lifestyle. And church, God wants us to be like Jesus, to be full of truth and full of grace. Listen, this church, every church, should be a place where people can find acceptance and not condemnation. And that's, that's just something that reflects the heart of God. Our church should be known as a place that you can go when you really mess up. And you will still find people who love you and accept you. Now let me quickly point out two other ways we grow together. And we'll talk about these more in the weeks ahead by affirming each other. Affirming each other. Look at this verse. It says, encourage one another and build each other up. Encourage one another and build each other up. And there are all kinds of ways that you can do that. All kinds of practical ways. You know, you can send a text message to somebody and encourage them. My wife does that all the time. And not just to me, but to many other people. And if you're old school, you can write a letter. You can write a note. Or you can make a phone call, you can bake some cookies, you can pat somebody on the back. There's all these ways that you can encourage other people. And I've got to tell you that as your pastor, I'm just delighted because I see that happening around here all the time. Now here's another way that, that we can grow together by advising each other. Advising each other. How many of you ever need advice? I mean, we all do. We all should seek advice. Where's a great place to find advice? in your church family, because here's the deal. If you're a Christian, God, he wants you and even expects you to be ready, willing, and able to give godly advice to other people in your church family. Did you know that? It's really an important incentive for understanding God's word so you can share it with others. Now look at this verse, it says this, let the words of Christ live in your hearts and make you what? Wise, when you need advice, what kind of person do you wanna to go to? Yeah, somebody who's wise. Use his words 
to teach and counsel each other. Now here's another reason we need each other. Number four, we serve better together. We serve better together. Look at this verse. Do you have fellowship together in the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit? Then make me happy by working together with one heart and purpose. Now here's the deal. You can work alone, but it's so much better to work together. And let me just point out some benefits of working together. I, I made a list here. I'll give you the short list. It makes us more effective. We get more done. It multiplies our time and energy. We compensate for each other's weaknesses. When we get tired or discouraged, there are other people there to help us up. There are a lot of benefits of working together. Now, how do we do that? Well, first of all, by using our talents. Because the truth is that you have talents that I don't have, and I have talents that you don't have, and there are people in our church family who have talents that neither of us have. And so God says, hey, work together using your talents. And here's a verse about that. Each of you has received a gift to use to do what? To serve others. Now, here's the second way that we can serve others, by offering practical help. By offering practical help. Look at this verse. Help carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. And the key word is practical because there are all kinds of ways that we can help each other. Sometimes you need somebody to watch your kids. That's practical help. Sometimes you need a meal. Sometimes if you're injured, you need somebody to cut your lawn. There are all these ways that we can help each other, and that's exactly what God wants us to do. And then a third way we can serve each other is by doing this, by sharing our resources with one another. The Bible says, share with God's people who are in need. And this verse is from 2 Corinthians. It says this, right now you have plenty and can help others. Then at some other time, they can share with you when you need it. In this way, everyone's needs will be met. Now, there's something that we have in our connection card, and we don't mention it enough, but there's a section that says, I have, I need. How many of you are familiar with that? You can actually write down something that you have that other people might need. You know, there, there might be some baby clothes or a baby crib or a lawnmower or extra TV or whatever it happens to be. You can say, I have this and I'm willing to share it. And then you can also say, I need this. And those are posted on our website, just a way that we can share our resources with each other. Now, here's the fifth and final reason we need each other. We reach out better together. We reach out better together. Somebody said one time that, that snowflakes are fragile, but if you can get enough of them to stick together, they can stop traffic. Now listen, there's only so much that you can do. There's only so much I can do. But if we reach out together, we can make a major impact. Look at this verse from Philippians. Paul says this, I know that you are working together and struggling side by side. Why? To get others to believe the good news. So how do we do that? How do we get others to believe the good news? Well, this is, this is really important. This is on your outline. By using our group to bring people to Jesus. One of the things that we want to develop and grow in our church this year is our small group ministry. We want people to get together and be able to not only share their lives, but be able to reach out to others. Because there are, there are people, and you, you probably have people that come to mind when I say this, there are people who you may never get to come through the front doors of this church to a worship service. They just don't want to go. I mean, they're not willing to sing or, or uh, sign anything or, or say anything, but there's a good chance they would accept an invitation to go to somebody's home and get to know some other people. And that's what can happen in a small group. Do you remember the story in the Bible 
about these guys, they uh, have a friend who's paralyzed, and they take him to Jesus. It says, four men arrived. Jesus was teaching in the house. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to Jesus. And how did they get there? They had to cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered this guy down because they wanted their friend to encounter Jesus. And church, this morning, Chris and I were driving to our church, and I was driving down Boynton Beach Boulevard, and I was looking at all of these housing developments, all of these homes, all of these rooftops, and I thought, you know, within one mile of our church, there are thousands of paralyzed people. They're paralyzed by doubt, by grief, by fear, by anxiety, by discouragement, by depression, you name it. And they need some people that are willing to reach out and bring them to Jesus. And that's what God has called us to do. Now, here's another way that we reach out together, by giving to our church's outreach. Every time you give an offering, you're helping our church reach out to others with the gospel. The letter that I just read this morning is an example of that. We have these local ministry partners, global ministry partners. As we support them, we're enabling them to reach beyond the walls of our church so that people can understand there's hope out there. And that hope is found in Christ. And here's another, another way that we can reach out by praying for our community. I remember one time I had lunch with another pastor here in our community, Stan Coleman. He founded South Palm Community Church. And Stan and I were talking about the fact that we really think churches need to cooperate with each other instead of seeing each other as competitors. And, and Stan told me something that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, Dudley, I... I pray for, for other churches. In fact, I get in my car and I drive to those churches and I sit in the parking lot on Sunday morning early. And I pray for those churches and I pray for their pastors and I've done that for you. And I thought, man, that is so encouraging to know that other people are praying for our church. And, and let me say this, as you pray for BBCC, remember to pray for other churches. Churches that are faithful to Scripture Churches that are preaching the gospel because, you know, churches arguing um, and seeing each other as competitors are like two ants arguing about who's going to eat the elephant. Really, think about how many people there are in South Florida who need to know that God loves them, who needs to hear the message that's been entrusted to us. And what is that message? It really is quite simple when you think about it. The bad news and the good news. The bad news is, hey... Our hearts are a mess. We come into this world with a, a heart that pulls us away from God, His, his purpose and His plan. Because we want to do what we want to do. And, and in a nutshell, that's what sin is all about. It has a big eye in the middle. God, I want to live my way, not your way. And so we've broken God's laws. And because of that, we're separated from God. Our relationship is shattered. And, and it's not just that we're separated from God. Because God is holy and just, He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. So we're in serious trouble. Apart from God's intervention, we're going to spend eternity apart from Him. But here's the good news. God really, really loves us. I was thinking about that when we were singing this, this song this morning, that you know, once I was in chains, once I was covered in shame, but then He came for me, He rescued me. Why? Because He really loves you. And that is the story of Jesus coming to our world. He came because He loves you and He loves me. And that's why He fulfilled His purpose. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. And on the cross, God was willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. This, 
anger, this wrath against sin that we deserved was poured out on Jesus, and he died for us. But that is not the end of the story because God's purpose was not yet fulfilled. Jesus came back to life, and he offers us this incredible new life, and it really is a life of purpose. If we'll just do this, say, Lord, look, I, I know that I failed you, and, and I do not have the life that you created me to live. I want a purpose for my life. And so, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you died to pay for my sins, that you came back to life, and I want to follow you. That's the message of hope that God has entrusted to us, the church. And let me just say this in, in closing. Last week, I was talking about the story of David and Goliath. Now, when you get to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, there's this, this commentary on the life of King David. It is very short. It's only seven words long, but it is incredibly powerful. And this is what it says. David served God's purpose in his generation. Think about that. King David served God's purpose in his generation. I think that's why he was called a man after God's own heart. And I'll tell you this. I was talking to my wife, Chris, about this the other day. When I reach the end of my life, that's what I want people to say about me. That's what I want my family to say about me. Hey, my husband, my dad, my granddad, he served God's purpose in his generation. And church, that's what I want to be able to say about each one of you. That's what I want to be able to say about us as a church, that we serve God's purpose in our generation. Because listen, right now, around the world, God is working in incredible ways. And the Bible says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So let me leave you with, with this thought. Will you be a person God can use for his purposes? in your generation. Church, will we be the people of God? People that God can use for his purpose in our generation. You think about that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the power, the truth that changes everything. God, thank you that we are indeed people of purpose. And Father, Every single Sunday when we come to this place, I think about the one who maybe has come in and has listened to a message and they've never really made that decision to follow Jesus. Lord, that invitation stands every single moment of every single day. And I pray, Lord, that if someone here this morning has heard this message and they feel you tugging on their heart, that they would simply say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I'm going to trust Jesus and follow him. Because, Father, that launches us into this incredible adventure of a purpose-driven life, driven by your purpose, God. Encouraged by your peace, strengthened by your power. So, Lord, I pray for our church in these weeks ahead that you would enable us to really get this, God. I pray that this truth would go deep into our hearts and come out our hands and our feet. God, help us to be the people that you've created us to be. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.